0: The
1: Guardian. Hello, I'm Matt Wells. Welcome to Media Talk. This week,
0: we see a lot more growth for us in print. In fact, we've got plans to increase our circulation over the next 18 months or so. We're investing in journalism or hiring more journalists uh, and our digital budget's going up.
1: Trebles all round A City AM posts a profit. Is there money to be made in newspapers after all?
0: You are
2: extremely adorable. You've got a great voice.
0: It's enough. I'm sorry, darling, I don't think I can take you any further forward.
1: And Reality Bites as X Factor and Strictly settle into the TV schedules, but we ask if anyone will follow Mad Men from the BBC to Sky. Plus, Channel 4 acts as the development fund that gave birth to audio booze. This is my legacy.
0: Bureaucracy.
3: This is
1: the form now that has to be filled in. This is a consequence of what you did.
3: Why don't, don't you give this to Paul Dacre? <laughs> this is because of the Daily Mail. This is because of Rupert Murdoch. This is because people don't but want to it's pay licence fee anymore. I may uh, just as well as, you know, tipped to paint on Paul Dacre's lawn and cause a controversy.
1: And as he does the publicity circuit for his new book, Russell Brand bags a spot on TalkSport. And it's with fellow troublemakers from Radio 2. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Well, someone in publishing is for the chop as the novel of the century, copies of it anyway. Uh, Jonathan Franzen's Freedom are pulped because an error-strewn earlier version was sent to the typesetters. I'm sure my panel uh, have never dropped such catastrophic workplace clangers. Steve Ackerman is managing director of Something Else. Have you ever boobed in style? Steady hands every time. Yeah, I'm sure they are. (laughs) Uh, And uh, editor of Media Guardian, Jane Martinson. Um, Have you presided over any particular calamities? Not
2: that wish to remind anybody, including myself, of just uh, now. Yeah,
1: there was a time when I... um, I, mis- I, I made a miscalculation over the difference between Scottish student grants and English student grants which, uh, which I worked out that there, there would be this catastrophic difference and how unfair it would be in Scotland because when I was an education correspondent with the Scotsman and this miscalculation was, formed the basis of the splash that I wrote for the Scotsman the next day and it was totally wrong <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was very much. How big was the mm, It was like, oh, <laughs> oh dear, well, I got such a telling off, unbelievable. Whistle. I
3: did take a radio station off air for about an hour once. Did you? I mean, <laughs> like, a proper radio station. Oh, really? oh, <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. going, you're going red, red, oh, red no,
1: now. I'm going red, thinking of my mistake. Uh, let's, let's hope we get through this uh, week's podcast without any serious mishaps. Uh, we start this week over at City AM, where things are anything but wrong. Uh, this is the London Financial Free Sheet, which turned its first profit for the first six months of this year. Now, while much of the media industry discourse is centred on how to make money out of digital, here is a printed paper that's making money. City AM's editor, Alistair Heath, came into the pod earlier to explain what's gone right.
0: It's our first uh, time we're in profit. 423000 for the first six months of the year and we're five years old as a newspaper. And what we've seen is a very, very strong growth in revenues, about 39% uh, for the first six months of the year. And that's basically uh, allowed us to make a profit for the first time.
1: And your revenue is pr- presumably principally from uh, yes.
0: advertising. Yes, I mean, the entirety of the, this revenue growth came from advertising. Well, free newspaper, we hand out about 100,000 copies a day in London and around London and at an increasing number of destinations. So
1: that's interesting that, that you're able to have done that, to increase revenues in what is really a very tough... Uh, market yes. for advertising at the moment. Yes. But in fact, ever since our launch, we've, we've been growing very strongly
0: year after year, but we basically wasted a year, obviously, because of the recession. And this year, we've bounced back, and obviously, we've
1: grown at a much, much stronger rate than the rest of the market. It's interesting that you've been able to announce these figures at a time when the focus of much of the discussion about the future of media is around digital, yet you're making money out of print. We see a
0: lot more growth for us in print. In fact, we've got plans to increase our circulation over the next 18 months or so by about another forty to 50,000 copies a day by going to more and more stations. Obviously, we're also quite excited about de- developing digital products, especially on-the-move digital products, iPhones, iPads, apps and so
1: on, which we haven't done yet but we're ge- are going to do soon. So what is it about that? Print is seen as quite an old-fashioned product. People say, dead trees, it's finished, don't bother investing in it. Do you think that people still enjoy picking up a paper in the morning? There's a massive distinction between newspaper readership
0: and people actually going out and going to a newsagent and buying a newspaper. So clearly, I think the discussion is faulty, because it you know, doesn't distinguish properly between free print and paid-for print. In fact, I think the entire media discussion is simplistic, really, and also obsessed with trying to find this holy grail, this single-model to solve all of the media's problems but there's no such thing as a holy grail and there's no such thing as a single model
1: and more than one of these strategies can work a criticism of free products is that they're flimsy they're wire-based services you do them on the cheap uh, it's not real journalism but do you have an answer to that that yes
0: i mean i just think that's not true or at least in our case and in the case of some others around the world it's not true we employ you know 27 journalists is not much, but you know, they work hard and they work very well, and we, you know, we break exclusive stories, we run exclusive comments, we do more and more comments, we run interviews with CEOs of the biggest companies in the world. We're doing real journalism every single day. We're investing in journalism, we're hiring more journalists, and our digital budget's going up. So I don't agree with that criticism.
1: Am I right in remembering that you had Philip Green ranting down, down the phone to you uh, quite recently?
0: Yes, I mean, we, we wrote a story on him being appointed as an advisor to the government, but we spoke to various people, and our story was quite strong and better than everybody else's and eventually got picked up and one of the byproducts of that was we had a little argument with video mm. green
1: what's the plan increased profits investment in um, journalism yes. a mixture of both in,
0: in well more profits more investment in journalism more investment in circulation and distribution and branching out in additional products so digital products and also events We're doing our first awards, for example, in a few weeks' time, and we've also started launching seminars in the kinds of areas that our readers are interested in. But our biggest focus still is going to be extending our print circulation and extending our journalism. And what's it like editing a paper like this? Um, It's a mix between something that's very modern and something that's very traditional, because you've got to mix the best of traditional local and traditional national journalism with a modern approach to doing things so for example we've got very late deadlines we've got a single edition and we go to print at one thirty in the morning i mean occasionally we have even a second edition but that's rare l- and so l- late nights yes late nights making late phone calls chasing stories after midnight waking people up at home that kind of thing so it's very much a traditional news driven organization in that sense and also it's an exciting newspaper because you've got a very close understanding of your audience so you know exactly who you're speaking to. We've got quite a lot of good data about our readers. That's a little bit like a, a local newspaper in a sense because our readers are, in, in some sense, a combination of specific communities
1: uh, that live in and around London. So people should watch out for the ads coming up soon for journalists you might be hiring. Well, yes, indeed. OK, great. Thank you, thank you very much, Alistair Heath. Alistair Heath there. Um, uh, Jane, this is, it's quite interesting, isn't it, because this is a, quite an old-fashioned success story in a way but being free is no guarantee as we've seen with the London paper and London Light and even the, the Evening Standard at the moment being free is not, not in and of itself a guarantee of success is it?
2: I mean what's really interesting is to imagine what would have happened if Rupert Murdoch had actually bought them five years ago just after it was when they launched Jen's talk admitted to us in the interview a couple of weeks ago that Murdoch tried to buy them and of course that would have I mean the prevented millions and millions in being spent on that uh, Although, they've, obviously, it's cost them quite a lot in the five years since. Yeah. They've only just started turning a profit. And, obviously, last year they uh, they lost quite a lot, 700 and something thousand. It's obviously no guarantee that you're going to make a profit if you go free. The standard has seemed in a very brief period, you know, I think for a week it made money. Geordie Gregg's obviously very positive about the whole moving free. It was losing quite a lot of money. You know, it's a really interesting model. In some parts of the world, Metro's been really successful it has made money but as as you say when it's if it comes to a sort of competition it only really works if there's a monopoly city am first thing in the morning very specific city news has metro to compete but it's a slightly different market and it's given away in different parts of the city. Yeah,
1: they're quite tar- they're quite targeted yeah. in, in, in where, where they give out to DM, isn't it? It's in, and yeah. around, in and around the city. I thought what was interesting about what Alistair Heath was saying, uh, Steve, was this distinction that people don't draw often enough between uh, free newspapers and pay- paid for newspapers. He says, yes, there is a paid for
3: newspapers are in are in decline, but people do like newspapers. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think the interesting thing about him is it's it's very much a niche a niche product. So even though yeah, metros uh, being given away for uh, free. He, he has got a strong newspaper case because he's going for a very, very particular segment of the market. And especially in terms of the city, he's going for one area that economically is recovering much quicker than the rest of us. Recruitment is picking up again, all those sorts of elements within within the city. I thought there were two, two other things that were really interesting that he mentioned. One was the fact they haven't yet exploited digital, and, and, and obviously that's yeah, an I obvious place. They haven't done that yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't quite understand that because you would have thought, obviously, their readership is going to be wealthy. They are going to have Blackberries and iPhones and that sort of thing. It seems an obvious place where you can try and increase extra revenues, whether that's through advertising or subscription or paid for apps or, or, you know, whatever it is.
2: Such a great um, competitor, which is the FT, is subscription. Yeah,
3: I mean, just an obvious move. The other thing was, I thought, what he said about reader data. And, you know, this is something that, that obviously we know people like News International are getting hotter and hotter on for obvious reasons. The more you know about your readership, the better you can sell to them. And, if, again, because they've got a very niche product, the fact that they seem to have that information, I'm sure, is very much linked to the, to the increase in revenues and profits. They can, you know, they can target people in a much stronger way and make the case to advertisers for why they should be advertising in the paper. Okay.
1: Um, uh, well, you can read all about uh, that story and uh, all the other stories from the newspaper world. This week on Media Guardian at MediaGuardian.co.uk. I'm Matt Wells, and this is your free episode of Media Talk. Uh, The the big story in TV this week concerns uh, a lot of money changing hands between Sky and American broadcasters for these shows. Donald Draper. The flooding of New Orleans was a man-made catastrophe. The flood protection mm. system, built by the Army Corps of Engineers, aka the federal government, failed. You two a band? You wonder what went wrong? Yeah, tell it, darling. I married a goddamn musician. Everything you see here, it's mine. If you steal from my men, you steal from me. You're placing Unit Thompson at the head of a criminal
3: organization controlling Atlantic County. He's corrupt as the day is long. Is this the way you do business? You want to see how I do business? Show your face again in Atlantic City. (laughs)
1: Yeah, B-Sky B are going to launch a new uh, US imports channel called Sky Atlantic. They've scooped up the rights to the shows that you've just heard. Uh, new show by The Wire co-creator David Simon, Martin Scorsese's critically lauded prohibition-era drama Boardwalk Empire, as well as current BBC4 favourite Mad Men, which is probably, uh, Jane, the biggest scoop that they've got, isn't
2: it? I thought say my favourite programme. Uh, oh, <laughs> is, it, is,
1: it, is it that as well?
2: <laughs> it is, it, although it's terrible because so dedicated I am I to never watching it on time shifted viewing. I missed The Apprentice last night because I couldn't even let the new program of The Apprentice detract me Ma- from. It, I think,
0: was, was I, think
2: I think it's really clever of Sky, and I think it's the closest we are really m- sort of marking a major move into an American style model of um, those sorts of high quality, expensive drama being available on pay per view. You know, someone who with the bt vision argument that you could get sky you know this years and years of regulatory involvement which meant that bt can now offer sky sports they have quite cleverly gone for something that's going to get lots of headlines and it's also but something not, but not not
1: but not many viewers though not many
2: viewers but it's quite clever in a way of saying there's so many people that are dedicated to sky already but we are actually going to offer you people who are the sort of remaining you know rump of people that don't want to do it you won't be able to see these talked about dramas not many people but you know people that all tweet about it there's a sort of social networking um effect on all those shows that we've mentioned it's quite clever in terms of marketing and quite expensive.
1: Do you think, it, Steve, it's about that? Is it about marketing, about them getting Sky getting written about or talked about in, in a different way? Or is it a commercial move? I don't know. I, th-
3: I think everything Sky do is a uh, commercial right. move. And you've got to admire them for it. I mean, I think the, the sort of speed and aggression with which they've gone and snapped up these rights as soon as that sport, sports ruling came paid. out. You know, I, you know it's, it's, it's classic Sky. And it may be a small amount of people who are attracted to these shows. But the thing is, they are a lucrative group of people. The sorts of people watching these shows are the sorts of people advertisers absolutely right, okay, want to get so hold of.
1: They, 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 they could charge a premium rate or at least the, the advertisers will be attracted to, uh, uh, to, to this channel, perhaps. I think well, so. Especially with Mad Men. And, uh, well, we can't, I, I didn't actually say the name of David Simon's new show because we can't agree on how it's pronounced. <laughs> is it Treme or Tremi or Tremi? I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, channel 5 tried this, though, didn't they? Uh, you know, an American imports channel.
2: I think the problem for 5 is, one, they never had enough money. Uh, but two, the imports they decided to buy were really unpopular. Joey's always the one held up, isn't it? It was just a complete turkey.
1: But the the, the other thing, though, is that when Sky have bought up US shows before and they've transferred from, say, the BBC or or wherever, they've sort of killed off, and Lost
3: is the the big one. Maybe the one danger with these shows are that these are classic sort of cult box set shows, yeah. the sorts of shows that people don't necessarily pick up on when they're first on telly, purely because they just don't, haven't heard about them. I mean, you know, The Wire obviously being the classic example. And then eventually, the you know, the Chatterati start start yeah. spreading the word and the box sets get, get snapped up. And, you know, maybe that's actually the biggest challenge to this is, is, is mm-hmm. how does Sky get people to actually pick up on these shows when they're first coming out? And
2: that's not happened yet, in this country anyway. You do not get um you know can, it, can I, any of us name a sky hit that they got and they launched first yeah. that became this sort of cult classic you know they you need to do it on a terrestrial channel first well actually the bbc or ITV, if you're lucky.
1: I think we should uh, have a quick run around the rest of the TV news. Let's have a bit of compulsory X-Factor chat. Uh, there's been scandal already. Gamugate, Jane, this is a scandal, totally. That's
2: so sad. Absolutely it. awful. Well, also, that whole suggestion that it was actually a decision based on the producers. Yeah. Yes. So, so, and, so the and then and is- then ITV immediately backtracked from that and said, no, 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 it's got nothing to do with her visa. So, sort of, you know, Cheryl was saying... This is ludicrous. They, I, You know, I, I talked to the production staff and they said it would probably be a good thing if I didn't choose her. And then they go, no, no, no. It was because she wasn't nearly so good, even though the one that they did choose actually well, had a meltdown and just... couldn't sing at the...
1: They, Time. I can't, I'm, I'm so angry about this. Cher Lloyd and K- Katie was, was- Katie, was- was. Katie.
2: Singy, who at the first audition could not actually yeah. sing. Couldn't remember the words. Sorry, just, this is making me quite cross, as you can tell.
3: I've never seen emotion like this in <laughs> the, it, it, <laughs> on media talk before. I know. It's just well, a,
2: but, they, you know, you need to get the story right, don't you? You need yeah. to say either, I actually just didn't like it, really, or... Production staff said the visa, and of course, if she is now about to be deported, which according to the papers today she is, yes, there obviously was a bit of an impact there.
3: You're, you're, you're looking blank, Steve. You're not not. Well, <laughs> well, as you know, Matt, every time you ask me, do I watch X Factor, every time so. I tell you, my kids and my wife are in one room, and I'm in the other. Yeah. But the one thing about X Factor is they are absolutely brilliant at generating. PR and publicity around the show. Every show, every week. Yeah, I mean, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. And and you know, so I wonder is there an element of that within within all of this? Because so even th- even this has come across my radar. I know. So. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about it anymore.
2: Oh no!
3: Wait, did you have I something else to say going
2: about on. it? <laughs> well, just one little okay, thing. Okay, Does anybody? Do you both believe, or does everybody believe, that they're not going to bring her back as the wild card? Well, it
1: would have to be the really wild card if she's been Zimbabwe. But it
2: would be, what a story, though. You can already it? hear like, the exultant music her. that, you know. Her th- talent is so great. You yeah. know, we managed to make it work, type of thing. Uh, I know it, they've denied this, but, you know, I'll it, be watching on Saturday, Stephen. I think you should be. Well,
3: X Factor is all about <laughs> storylines, isn't it? And this is a great storyline. it be a great storyline. What, what about Strictly? How have we been watching that? Um, I have. Have you well, seen Anne waltz?
2: Oh. I, I did see it. I thought she did really well, actually. Yeah. And I didn't think her leg was like a Nazi.
1: You mentioned The Apprentice, uh, which you haven't been watching. You've been watching The, the Apprentice, Steve.
3: I've, I've patiently waited through X Factor yes. and
1: Strictly to yes. get to The Apprentice. <laughs> I, thought was,
3: I thought it was great. Yes. I, I mean, you know, classic Apprentice. You, you absolutely want to strangle all these people. One of the guys last night was in the boardroom was, was called, what was he, a communications consultant or something. I said to my wife, right, well, he's in PR. You know, I mean, it, <laughs> you know, clearly nothing to do with business at all, but... Um,
2: Top telly.
3: As ever, top telly. And, and actually, the thing I really love about The Apprentice is it's really beautifully shot as well. Those aerial shots are always phenomenal, but just the whole lighting, the way it's shot, it just gives it an extra level of class I think you don't often get on reality shows.
1: Well, listen, uh, thank you very much. Talking of your fired, the uh, Prime Minister praised his Director of Communications, Andy Coulson, on Channel 4 News this week, but he added that no one is unsackable. Mr Coulson was employed by Mr Murdoch. No, Which, he, is he say, unsackable?
3: No, no one is uh, unsackable. But the point I would make is that I haven't had one single complaint about how he's done his job, or indeed how the Downing Street Press Office has done its job. And that's quite a contrast from the years of Alastair Campbell and Damian McBride and all the rest of it. So I say you should judge people on the jobs that they do. What do you make
1: of the latest revelations, Jane, on dispatches? It's it, still no smoking gun, is there? In- um, incremental development, it, isn't it?
2: Yes, and and there's that sort of sense that it's either going to, um, it, you know, something is going to come out or it will have to go. And, and really, I think if he survives until Christmas, that's it. But the fact that you have the Director of Communications for the Prime Minister still the story, still involved, with lots and lots of questions still being raised. You know, there's going to be a select committee inquiry, News International, you know, preparing to put forward Rebecca Brooks, who didn't turn up last time, or, you know, that that didn't happen. You know, it's not going away, this.
1: And this is a problem, isn't it, That um, Steve? We've discussed this before. I mean, Every time there's a new TV programme or a new newspaper article, it all comes round again, doesn't
3: it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we were talking about this... The last one was on the pod three, three or four weeks ago, and, and yet here we are four weeks later. It's still going on, and I think your point, Jane, that if he's there until Christmas, the real issue would be if it's still being talked about till Christmas. I think, yeah. you know, you kind of think, how, how can he hang on? on and this is now the first time the Prime Minister's come up for his defence. You know, when that starts happening, he's just becoming too much of a story in his own in his own right. It's
1: difficult to the um, if every time David Cameron gives a media interview, he gets a compulsory Andy Coulson question. To be it?
2: honest, it shows the sort of the level of loyalty he has to someone who's a pretty recent recruit to his team, his inner team you know, he's got the support of lots of people in the press, The thing but is with Andy
1: Coulson, is he's the barometer of Middle Britain, though, isn't he? For um, Because because there's all these old Etonians and upper-class twits and all the rest of it in the top of the Conservative Party, there's actually very few people mm. who can say how a certain policy, or however instinctively, he's, is going to play, play out with he's the He's pop- also...
2: The relationships he has with the newspapers mm. as well. All right.
1: Uh, I want to round off this section with a kind of late-breaking story that's just been announced this morning, which is that Channel 4 is axing its sort of seed development fund for IP and uh, this is the part of Channel 4 that gives funding to uh, entrepreneurial activities that are not necessarily to do with Channel 4 uh, they funded for example Audioboo with a large well, relatively large well, it's comparatively large amount, m- amounts of money isn't it Steve if you're a, an organisation that, that you're or an activity that you're trying to get off the, off the ground £50,000 here, £25,000 there, £75,000 here that's a lot of money for you and you, you guys have benefited from it
3: too? Yeah no we've I mean we We've got something coming out in about a month's time that, that we've been working on for a long time that they funded and their support was, was obviously absolutely crucial. I suppose the sort of biggest element about this is what does it say about where Channel 4 sees itself within the digital space and does it see itself as a, as a pure TV player going forward? You know, we had the announcement a few weeks ago that they're looking to amalgamate online and TV commissioners into one role. And, you know, I think invariably those roles are going to go, or, you know, there's a better chance that's going to go to the person in the TV post than the online Post, you know, TV is clearly and understandably the most important thing for them. But what Channel Four had done the past few years was was really become a key player in the UK market in forging ahead. In the digital space, and really developing themselves as a, as a very forward-thinking, exciting multi-platform brand, and, and they seem to be retrenching
1: a bit from. They that. They seem
3: to be retrenching, and I think this—you know—that's maybe the, the sort of worrying undertone of this four IP move. Does that does that further signal just going back to the sort of TV roots at a time when actually no media brand can afford to ignore the digital space?
1: Uh, Jane, this is, this is the David Abraham strategy, though, isn't it? To to concentrate on the core business.
2: I agree with Steve, though. It wasn't a huge amount of money. It was pretty universally praised. In terms of politics, I think it's quite interesting because this whole idea of sort of um I mean it's not venture philanthropy obviously, but a state owned broadcaster that's using some of its money to try and pump prime yeah, but, yeah, but, uh, entrepreneurial. As
1: you said, they're not a venture capital capital fund, are they're they? They're not, I mean. that's
2: true. And also, you know, the the point you made about they're not actually getting much money or much return from that. But then they're going to be around for a while, you would hope, Channel Four. So I don't know. I mean, I suppose £50 million, it seems quite a lot of money in the current environment and, you know, cuts are going to be the name of the game for the next few years.
1: Uh, We'll end this week with some radio news. I'd like to apologise
0: for these terrible yeah. attacks, bom, bom, Andrew Sacks. I'd like to show bom, contrition bom, bom, to the max, bom, bom, Andrew Sacks.
1: Yeah, the uh, hairy Hellraiser returns to the airwaves with a regular series on TalkSport. Uh, he's already done a one-off show for uh, that network and a deal brokered by former Radio 2 controller Leslie Douglas, uh, another of the victims, of course, of uh, those prank calls to Andrew Sachs. His co-conspirator, Jonathan Ross, will be uh, one of the guests... On the program, too. Um, what are talks brought up to here? Do you think by hiring uh, Russell Brand, Steve?
3: The first thing is PR and marketing, which they've achieved just yes, by announcing it. Are, yes. Second thing is gives them a show that um, that's clearly sponsorable. You know, let's not forget whatever happened on Radio Two. Russell Brand is a huge, huge star. I mean, this guy's broken Hollywood now. You know, he's he's a major name. He's he's getting married to a huge pop star. I mean, he's a big international name now. And so, so I think this is a really great coup, and it continues to show confidence from the national. Uh, commercial operators, that they can go out and start to recruit some some of these names. You know, TalkSport are actually really starting to to, to to create a really powerful brand, I think, one that's really on message. And Russell Brand is absolutely core for them. Mm. I mean, he's, he's a, clearly a football lover. That, you know, that's, that's very public. But in terms of his sort of... His image and his laddishness, yeah. that's absolutely core, core he, for talk spot. I think
1: it's really smart. I mean, Brand has said things on his Radio 2 show that were far worse than the Andrew Sachs calls. D- does spot have a compliance problem, do you think, Jane? It's or
2: pre-recorded, that- as Mozdy keeps yeah. saying constantly, doesn't he? <laughs> don't worry, it's pre-recorded. You know, he said that Jonathan Ross twice said, don't put this in, actually, let's take it out. And he kept saying, no, but it's so good. That would be really interesting. I mean, I to th- see how much control they've got over that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the, re- the regulatory point is really good on that because... Actually, he's, he's under a much tighter regime here than he was at the BBC. Obviously yes, because
1: of the Ofcom programme. He's under
3: Ofcom Ofcom rules now, so. and Ofcom can fine Talksport. Of course, this is absolutely. Um, so, so it will tighten things up for him. What I hope it doesn't do is steal away the creativity. Because actually, he is a really good broadcaster at his height. He, he's 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 very compulsive to listen to.
1: In other radio news, Chris Evans is getting an extra half, half an hour. Are they stretching him too thin? Radio two, do you think, Steve?
3: No, I think that's an absolutely smart move.
1: Uh, Six thirty. He's starting uh, same same time as Moyle's. And um, well, th- now, interestingly, this week the thing I heard about Chris Moyle's the reason why he's so miserable because you know there was all that stuff a few weeks ago about his rants and all the rest of it um, is because they've told him the BBC that they've re- well they've renewed his contract. So it's been renewed for another year, but they've said that this is the last contract that he's going to have as the breakfast presenter. Uh, this is what they did with Terry Wogan, apparently. Um, Wogan knew a um, long time before that he, uh, he was leaving, that a long time before it was announced that he was leaving. And this is the reason why Moz is so miserable.
2: Doesn't sound like he's going to do it the Wogan way, though, does it? No, it doesn't. Really? Sound,
1: yeah. <laughs> but, um, you've been in the news this week, Steve. Yes. Um, well, at least your company has, because it's been announced that uh, Indie Producer All Out Productions is to close, which is uh, owned by your lot, uh, something else, based in Manchester. I don't understand this. This is an award-winning production company, Division, it's in Manchester. The BBC's just about to move a whole lot of commissioning and stuff to Manchester. Why are you shutting it down?
3: Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, I've got to tell you first, of all, it's really funny being on the receiving end. <laughs> <laughs> And I come into the pod. But, the, but the, you know, the, the answer is a financial one, which is that the company wasn't uh, generating enough commissions. The BBC may be moving to Manchester, but so far the opportunity for Northern Indies has been very limited. There's been Peter Sammons at North Fund, um, and there's been Radio 5 have, have had a very small 40 grand fund that, that they've made available to commissioners. And outside of that, there is nothing else at the moment. So, in other words, all outs competing on the same ground as everyone else for for everything else. And in that sense, you know, if and when an opportunity arised from the BBC going there, then we, then we might re re look at it. But I think if you spoke to um, to any other. Uh, radio Indy, who, who, who's based up in the north, it's really difficult. And it, and it is difficult to sort of turn it back. And at the end of the day, London-wise, we're doing very nicely. Thank, thank you very much. And and sadly, we just didn't want to carry on mm-hmm. sub- subsidising it. We just saw that opportunity as still being two or three years away. And it was a case of, do we want to carry on subsidising it for that, for that long? This mm. will
2: be a real test of so the BBC's move to Salford, though, because if in five years there's still no evidence that's the sort of creative industries around Salford and the BBC have been um, helped at all, then it would just seem like an enormous white elephant.
1: Mm. Well, it's also been a bad week for Absolute Radio. They've announced losses for 2009, went up
3: to 4.3 million.
1: But they're still quite upbeat about things, aren't they, Steve? Why is that?
3: Well, I suppose when you look at the brand and how it's developing, uh, a, a bit similar to Talk Sport, actually. In many ways, there are lots of things to be... To be excited about this set of accounts clearly doesn't uh, presumably I don't think takes into account the World Cup. I don't know. I might I might be wrong on the, on that front, but they they had a good World Cup. They've still got a lot of uh, results to come through in the in the sense that they are still investing in content. Don't forget, they've just gone for the for the Premier League uh, for some element of the Premier League rights. They've got stars like Frank Skinner and Dave Gorman, who I think are starting to penetrate with the public now are starting you know awareness of those programs is sort of starting to um happen clearly the longer term picture is they're trying to build up something of value that t- that Tanzania can eventually sell on of course you know yeah. th- just like any company and so therefore i suppose it depends in their business plan what was the plan they originally had in terms of how long they wanted that investment To sort of take before they felt it was sellable.
1: All right, well, uh, I'm interviewing the absolute boss, uh, Clive Dickens, on stage at the uh, radio festival in a couple of weeks' time, 18th, 19th, and 20th of October. Remember, if you want to get tickets, go online radioacademy.org.
2: Media talk with Matt Wells on guardian.co.uk.
1: That's just about it from um, this week's podcast thank you very much for listening but as we do traditionally though before we go uh, we, we ask our list, our guests to tell us what they've been up to and any interesting nuggets that you found out this week steve
3: well i'm not sure how interesting it is but it sort of made me sit, sit up a bit which is we, we always bang on about the share especially on radio between bbc and commercial operators it's sort of 56 what 44 something like that at the moment I was over in Scandinavia last week. Right. Denmark, the, the, the split between public and private, 82% against 18%. Good Lord. So actually, 82%, pub, uh, pub. 82% public broadcaster. So actually, you know, mm-hmm. what are we all arguing about We're over right. here? It's all we fine. We always
2: look to the America, don't we? Yeah. Always looked around. You've
1: uh, you've been hobnobbing at the uh, Tory Party confer- conference <laughs> briefly. Yeah. Yes, briefly.
2: I've... No, it was really interesting. Actually, I mean, lots of interesting people in the in the sort of networking events. But I also listened to George Osborne's speech, sort of among the party faithful. And oh, um, right, actually, in the, in yeah, the, yeah, in yeah, the not, hall, yeah, not not with not... any press, just yeah. on my own. I, I was noticeably the only one not clapping because <laughs> obviously journalists aren't even allowed to clap, are they? Um, and um, it was really interesting. Actually, the reaction to actually quite a good speech. I mean. Not great content, whatever you think of the content, but um, a very well-timed speech. You know, every couple of minutes they all clapped, every couple of minutes someone harumphed. You know, it was sort of, it had a real pace and it was sort of fascinating just to get Mm. a glimpse of new government, 13 years. And in fact, I think, having not been there for the David Cameron thing, I think the reaction in the hall to the Cameron speech, although they love him much, much, much more wasn't quite
1: as good mm, interesting okay uh, thank you very much uh jane martin and uh, steve ackerman uh, great stuff as usual post your comments on uh, the blog um guardian.co.uk slash media talk you can follow me on twitter of course this week's program was produced by scott corley because uh, producer ben is away um, but i bet you didn't notice any difference uh, thank you for listening i'm Matt wells goodbye for more great downloads go to guardian.co.uk slash audio